your Division II champions, Grand Valley State. Congratulations to the Lakers. For the sixth time in program history, they are the national champions. Grand Valley has its third national championship in four years. Grand Valley State celebrating a national championship in Division II. It's the Ankara Podcast, presented by the Grand Valley Sports Network. Hello again, Laker Nation, and welcome to a spooky edition of the Anchor Up podcast here on Halloween week. We've got a great show coming up for you. Christy Kale, now Christy Bayer, is on the show with us, the first former student athlete to be a guest on the Anchor Up podcast. A lot of fun to reminisce with her. We'll talk about that. Football practice now fully underway here at Grand Valley State. The basketball teams are getting ready for their season as well. GLIAC meeting this week. We'll take a look at what might shake out in terms of a schedule for them. And then also this week, the in-state battle, Michigan versus Michigan State, having a watch party at the Kelly Indoor Center. So we'll talk about all of that and more here on the Anchor Up podcast, all brought to you by Metro Health, the official sports medicine provider of GVSU Athletics. Your health, our power. Passion. My name's Jake Levy, joined as always by my co-host Tim Knott. Tim, how you doing? Great, Jake. Great. And uh, yeah, this is a spooky, spooky time of year, um, obviously for, for a lot of reasons. So Yeah, uh, a little more spooky yeah, this year than ever spooky, before. Spooky across, uh, across the whole board there. Absolutely. As we mentioned, we talked to Christy Bayer. Uh, we'll have that interview a little bit later on in the, in the show, but what a great interview that was with her. And she's now the SWA and Deputy Athletic Director at Emporia State. So it's really fun to talk to her because she's got the student-athlete perspective, the coach perspective, and the administrator perspective, and she was really, really sharp. Well, Christy and I started at Grand Valley together. Uh, my first year at Grand Valley was the fall of 97. Christy was the – that's when she started her uh, volleyball career here in, in fall of 97 and really is the – key piece of the Grand Valley State volleyball program which took off. Um, Christy was the most competitive student athlete, male or female, that Grand Valley State had at that point in time, maybe of all time. I mean, she just, she was ultra competitive, wanted to win at any cost, um, and I mean any cost, and she was going to will her team to a victory. Um, she played through some injuries that, uh, um, that you, you really, you know, a lot of individuals wouldn't play through, and uh, then she really led the, that program to the Elite Eight with Kathy Viss and uh, the prominence that they uh, had for about a, what, 14-year period. The all-time assist leader at Grand Valley State, a 2007 Hall of Fame inductee. We'll get to her in just a little bit. But speaking of winning, we have a new World Series champion. Thank goodness the Washington Nationals are no longer reigning World Series champs. Instead, <laughs> it is now the Los Angeles Dodgers as they win it in six games over the Rays. And I think the one point of conversation that will be had until maybe next baseball season was that move to pull Blake Snell in the sixth inning. And he was cruising. He was the top three in the Dodgers order were 0 for 6 with six strikeouts against him gives up a one-out hit to Austin Barnes it wasn't even all that hard hit just a served line drive into center field and with Mookie Betts coming up for the third time Kevin Cash makes the decision to go to the bullpen and Tim I know you and I were talking about a little bit last night while it was happening but it's a move to me that still doesn't make any sense yeah you know again it wasn't like they were hitting him around he was dominating he was dealing um, and I think you know in our little group chat last night with uh, yourself myself and and Mitch uh, Mitch sent the uh, the uh, graphic of the young kid doing the sabermetric saying, <laughs> you know, on the computer going, oh, you got to pull him. It's time. And you, you just kind of feel that is how that whole thing transpired. Listen, we're not going to give him. I don't think they were going to give him that third 
time through the batting order at all. I think that w- that was his last bat. It was a yeah, predetermined thing. And, yeah, predetermined. Yeah. And he was so he was dominating them. And you know, in which we were talking about last night. You know, that's where the gut portion of that. And I'm not sure if that came from up top. Maybe it was predetermined. Hey, he's not going through three times in the lineup. So I'm not sure how much cash he even had in terms of uh, you know. If that was his decision or not, I mean that's, that's well. And they talked about it a lot throughout the World Series about Kevin Cash saying that they want to use their entire bullpen. That our bullpen, our pitchers, and in general starters or relievers have to have thick skin and short memories because he's gonna go to the bullpen. He's gonna make moves yeah. that might not make sense to you. But so to me, as I look at this sabermetrics, the analytics, the you know third time through the order when you face a batter for the third time, the percentages go up and all that. I'm fine with using all of that through 162 regular season games. If you want to use your analytics to give you the best possible outcome for 162 games, you're going to have so much time for it to level out and to average out. But when you get to a must-win situation, when you get to an elimination game in a World Series game or any type of playoff game, I think you have to throw some of that sabermetric, some of that analytic stuff out the window, and you have to feel gut a little bit and make those decisions that are going to win that particular game, not necessarily the move that wins more games than others. We talked about it last night in that little group chat. Imagine if this was 10 years ago, Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens, Tom Glavin, um, if John Schmoltz, the manager walks out to the mound and, you know, one out in the fifth inning, the those guys would have said, what are you doing out here? Just well, turn, we actually saw a video around, of a pitcher just yelling at their manager to stay in the dugout. <laughs> walk your butt back to the dugout because you're not getting the ball. I mean, and, and, and that's just, you know, how the game has changed where five innings is like, oh, my gosh, you made it through five innings. I mean, that's, whoa. So, uh, and the Rays have done some innovative things. They had the opener last year, and yeah. you know what? I, I I saw the argument quite a bit that sabermetrics and analytics are the only reason why Kevin Cash and the Rays are in that spot to make that decision. So you live by it, you die by it. I, I understand that argument. I just say I, if I were them, I wouldn't want to die right then. No, no, I'm not taking him off the mound. So, Absolutely not. But congratulations to the Dodgers. A long drought finally spelled, and the city of Los Angeles has now won back-to-back wow. championships, so an embarrassment of riches for them. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the Lakers and Dodgers. So if you're, I mean, the Rams, the Chargers, I mean, hey, they're going for the three-peat. Yeah, I mean, if you're a gambling man, you or, might want to look at the, the odds for those L.A. football teams to win the Super Bowl. I'm taking the perspective of Clayton Kershaw got his World Series title. And well-deserved. And well-deserved, and I'm, I'm happy for him. He went to high school with uh, Matthew Stafford. They played together. Wow, talk about reaching for a tie. So, so, you're, hey, so you're saying Lions, the Lions? The Lions right now, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that it might be in the cards. Are there any prominent Los Angeles Lakers that were from that high school in Dallas as well? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, so no. we, don't, we can't follow that Kuzma's, thread. But. Kuzma's from uh, Flint. Okay. So Well, there you go. Yeah. Close enough to Detroit. Yeah. The Anchor Up podcast brought to you in part by NovaCare. Discover the power of physical therapy with the official physical therapy provider of GVSU Athletics. Also brought to you in part by PNC Bank, the official bank of GVSU Athletics. PNC Bank for the achiever in you. One week of GVSU football practice officially in the books last Saturday. The Lakers put the full pads on. We have some video clips of it on the at GVSU football Twitter and Instagram if you want to take a look at some of that. And, Tim, you were there on Saturday. I was there the first couple of days. The intensity of practice was really, really there. Those guys could not wait oh, to get those pads I'll on and hit what, each other. You talk about not having a spring, you know, and we, we talked about that uh, previously. Um, they were they were just itching to, to get out there with pads on and, and a few scuffles on the field, the competitive scuffles that, that you love to see between your offense and defense. Um, and really, really liked what I saw. I think I'm, you know, Coach Mitchell, a standing, a standing team. Um, I like the leadership of these guys uh, that they've really showed during the, 
time off from COVID until now and how they've matured as a team and dunked things together. Um, it's, it's exciting to see, and I know that uh, they're excited to work through these practices. That's more like a spring season mm -hmm. uh, right now because the championship portion, which is normally a fall, will then be in the spring. And, uh, you know, they're trying to set some things up with, with other schools in terms of playing. Uh, that still isn't finalized yet. But uh, uh, it's great to see. The guys are loving it. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit different when you get out there and you, you put the pads on. All of a sudden, these freshmen – who have had it really pretty easy here. Right. Um, they think this, uh, they, this whole football they, thing they, is super geez. easy. We lift and we run and we go to class and we have meetings. Um, some eyes were opened on Saturday morning. Oh, and, I'm sure. Uh, you know, the Brennan Browns and the offensive lineman, Quentin Barrow and, and Garrett Carroll, when you see those guys in pads and all of a sudden, you know, uh, it's a little bit different story when you're going against them. Go into more detail about switching your season and what you mean by that, because we talk about that a lot, I feel like, with the spring hours versus the fall hours. But for the layman who doesn't really understand the way Kara works and the way that the hours work, what does it mean to switch your season? Well, in the, in the fall portion of your championship season, when you're competing for a championship normally in the fall, um, you get 20 hours per week with your student-athletes, and that includes practice and um, uh, you get one day off. So six days of 20 hours, game, the, the games on Saturday count as like two hours, I think. Um, so uh, the spring portion of the season, you get 15 practices, and it's limited to 15 hours per week, but you can only have 15 practices. So right now we're in that 15 practice phase that normally would happen in the spring. We're, we changed it back to the fall because uh, Coach Mitchell thought since we're not going to play, he'd rather ease the guys into it, be, be able to spend more time off the field with the youngsters and then kind of get them in that feeling out process and then incorporate the spring portion where you get 15 practices um, versus the fall one to six for these guys uh, can turn into a grind. So he felt like that the young kids were going to be able to mature and to kind of get used to football. Now in the spring, they will go back to the championship portion. We'll look at 20 hours per week for practice. It'll be more like a normal fall, obviously without the caveat of the games where you know, you're playing every week. You're going to have – they're trying to put together maybe three scrimmages uh, with other schools uh, around the country, you know, per right. se, and, you know, try to get them kids. You're not – you know, you're not going to really use your veterans in those situations. You don't want to get somebody injured in the spring that's going to prevent with them from playing. With such a short recovery time in, into the fall. In the fall of 21. So it's going to be a time for these um, redshirt freshmen and true freshmen to kind of get on film – and, and show that they're ready for the fall of 21. Because next fall, which we've talked about, you're going to have three classes of kids on your, on your roster who have never played a down in college football. I know it. I mean, you're going to have literally possibly 75 kids between the kids that are redshirt freshmen this year, true freshmen this year, next year's incoming class of 21. So you want to get those redshirt freshmen and true freshmen of 2020 as many reps as possible and get them used to you know, their role within the program. As we've talked about, it's going to be a crowded locker room when next year rolls around. But assuming that everything gets back to some semblance of normalcy and the 2021 season is what we think the 2021 season will be, it's actually, it could wind up being a huge advantage for a team to do it as Coach Mitchell has designed it, where you're almost using the spring as training camp. You know, they get the summer off still, they're going to have a little bit of time away, but they're going to be kind of still in that yeah. ramp-up mode right. when they come into – you kind of reference it to, like, OTAs yeah. and doing that it's, kind of stuff throughout the summer for an NFL team that gets them slowly but surely ready so that when training camp hits, it's not a shock to the system. Yeah, and you, you're not going to – you know, your young kids are going to be full go um, in that in that spring portion. But like we said, your veterans who've, who've established themselves and are going to be the guys you're relying on 
are going to kind of take a back seat. But you're going to have well, it's the same thing as Tom Brady doesn't have to show up to minicamp. Exactly. But you exactly. Know, if you're so, if you're a freshman tight end or a rookie tight end, you better get your butt be, to yeah, minicamp to so, to learn all those different yep. things. So yeah, it's going to be a, a a change. But I think uh, Coach Mitchell's really done a great job of instant, you know inputting kind of the, his plan leading into the fall of 21. Anchor Up Podcast brought to you in part by Earhart Construction, the official construction company of the Grand Valley Sports Network, also brought to you by Homewood Suites Grand Rapids. Enjoy all the comforts of home at the only extended stay hotel in downtown Grand Rapids. And speaking of football, there will be some football in the Kelly Indoor Facility this weekend, hosting a watch party for the big UMMSU game this weekend. It'll be at noon kickoff, sponsored by Bang Energy, and we'll be giving away Bang, giving away some free food, some free prizes. There's a t-shirt giveaway as well, real cool opportunity for the students to come out and watch that big game in the state of Michigan on the largest indoor screen on campus and guess what it's climate controlled too because it's it in Kelly. Yeah it is and then uh, I think the game kind of lost a little bit of luster with the seven turnover performance by the uh, Sparties last weekend versus Rutgers um, uh, you know and Michigan looked very impressive uh, at Minnesota so you know Michigan State can't play I don't think they can as bad as they played in the first game so right. you're not going to see the same Michigan State team. I hope not. Um, and, and Michigan really played well. And Michigan uh, hopes they see the same yeah, exact Michigan team. Yeah, Michigan wants to see the same team. Now, Minnesota ha- has come out since then. Didn't have, like, four starting offensive linemen due to COVID. Um, so, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what's on the field. It's Mel Tucker's first game against Michigan. Uh, Mark D'Antonio really really thought that rivalry was a, was big for Michigan State and excelled in that, in that rivalry. Uh, Michigan has really never considered Michigan State a rival. It's always been Ohio State. So uh, it'll be a, in a, it, it's at Michigan. I would say uh, I think the spread was at 25.5. That's so, what it opened at. And, so. Uh, so we'll see. It, it, it should be an interesting game. And you can see it on the video board at the Kelly Indoor Center on Saturday. Well, it's almost time to get to our interview with Christy Kale Bayer. Before we do that, though, let's introduce our team of the week. It's brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Here for you now more than ever. Confidence comes with every card. And this week's team of the week is the 1984-85 men's basketball team. They were the first Laker team to reach the NCAA tournament, having three prior trips to the NAIA tournament. This was the first time in the NCAAs, though. They won their first ever NCAA tournament game by the slimmest of margins, beating Northern Michigan 71-70 before finding themselves on the other side of a one-point game, falling 58-57 to the host of that regional, South Dakota State, on their home floor. Ron Paulus led the Lakers. He had 17.7 points, 9.3 rebounds per game. He earned honorable mention All-America honors, becoming the first Laker to earn NCAA All-America honors on the hardwood. That team went 21-8, and 14-2 in the GLIAC under legendary coach Tom Villamere. That is your team of the week, the 1984-85 men's basketball team, brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Here for you now, more than ever, confidence comes with every card. And Tim, that basketball team getting to the NCAA tournament set the table, and we've talked about that a lot throughout this podcast about those firsts and those big moments, and I think for that one, that was a huge one for the basketball team. It, it, it really was, and that was t- the middle of Tom Villamere's career, and Tom was a legendary cr- coach uh, uh, at Grand Valley and through the state of Michigan. I know he re- was really well-respected by the Division One Judd Heathcote back there, Johnny Orr, and, and those Division One coaches in the state, uh, Dick Parfit at Central Michigan University, um, Bob Donawald at Western Michigan. He really fit in and knew those guys. It was a different time. They spent a lot of time together. And, and, and Coach Villamere really built the program at Grand Valley State. And, 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 and that era really was a dominant team for the level of which Grand Valley State was playing. 
If you're just new to the Anchor Up podcast, make sure you go back and listen to the interview we did with Doc Woods. He's got some fun Tom Villamere stories for sure, and Tom was a character to say the least, but he certainly got the job done (laughs) when it came to the hardwood, and it was great to have those stories with him as well. And Doc does an unbelievable Tom Villamere impression. Oh, we didn't get him to do that. Oh, no, we we, we probably should. I'm not sure Doc would have done that, but um, he had some great stories and and just impressions of, of Coach Villamere who uh, is, is still in the Grand Rapids area and still comes around and uh, attends practices of, of Coach Wesley. Yeah, we see him at the golf outing every mm-hmm. year, and he's always so gracious and fun and open and wanting to talk to just about everybody he can get over to. Uh, Tom Villamere is a great, great legend here at Grand Valley State, and that was his first team to go to the NCAA tournament. So that's your team of the week. And speaking of interviews, you know, we've interviewed some administrators, we've interviewed coaches, we've interviewed current coach in Jerry Baltus, but we had not talked to a former GVSU student athlete until today. That all changes. We have then Christy Kale, now Christy Bayer, a former volleyball legend. She is the all-time assist leader as a setter. She also came back here as an assistant coach, wound up coaching for 14 years at Emporius, or at uh, Arkansas Tech, excuse me, and is now the SWA and Deputy AD at Emporia State. So she's got a great collegiate athletics career starting back from her college days. We're about to get to that interview, Tim, but I know you have a really great relationship with her and excited to go back and reminisce. Well, I will, you know, Christy, again, um, one of the most competitive athletes at Grand Valley State University. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fun seeing these student athletes come into Grand Valley State. And you know, I've been here 25 years, seeing these kids come in, you know, spend their time here and then go on to great things outside of, of athletics. And she stayed in athletics, but it's just seeing them mature and, and, and have their families. And they always have a fond memory of Grand Valley State University. Um, and, and, and their time here. And she's done a ton of things on a bunch of committees, both now as an administrator and as a coach. Don't want to give too much away. Let's get over to that Christy Kale interview right now. All of our guest interviews are presented by Coors Light, reminding you to drink responsibly. Coors Light is distributed locally by Alliance Beverage. Okay, her name's Christy Bayer now, but let's go back to talk to the former Christy Kale, the All-American here on the Anchor Up podcast. And with that, we welcome on the former Laker, a Hall of Famer for GVSU in the volleyball floor, Christy Kale at the time, now Christy Bayer, the first former athlete to join us on the Anchor Up podcast. Christy, joining us from Kansas, how you doing? Good, good. Uh, staying warm here in Kansas. Yeah, what's the weather like down there for you guys? Um, it, we had our first snow this week, and you know, of course, Kansas, it's got to be windy and snowy, so... Perfect. There you go. Well, you were the former volleyball player here, like I said, Hall of Famer. You're now the deputy AD, though, at Emporia State. That's why you're down in Kansas. Tell us a bit about yep. your role down there, what you're doing now. Um, you know, I've been here uh, almost going on three years here at Emporia State. Um, you know, Kent Weiser's the AD, and Kent and I formed a relationship about 20 years ago. Gosh, has it been 20 years ago? Yes. When uh, my first job out of college, I was the assistant volleyball coach here at Emporia State, and I was here a year, and didn't think I'd ever come back here. And then Kent and I just always stayed in touch. And um, I was here a brief year and, you know, 20 years later, he calls me up and, and says, you know, I have a job for you. And I said, well, what is it? And he, and he told me, and I said, uh, you know, I just want to let you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to be kind of pigeonholed into one area of athletics. I want to do it all. Um, and so he, um, you know, I do a little bit of everything, you know, to be honest, um, my predecessor was a little bit more internal focused. And so I do have, I've taken some of those, those responsibility, but kind of my background is more, and my love is more external, um, you know, marketing and public relations, um, 
you know, I like fundraising. So I've kind of just, it's kind of a hybrid of, a, of internal and external. Well, that's why you're the perfect fit for the podcast. And like we mentioned, the first former athlete to do it. Let's talk about your time here at Grand Valley, 97 to 2000. That was kind of the start of that rise of GVSU volleyball. Tell us about your time here a little bit. Yeah, it was a really exciting time to be at Grand Valley. I mean, it's always an exciting time to be at Grand Valley, of course. Um, uh, but Tim can can agree with me that it was just at that time, it's all of our sports were just kind of starting uh, to get really good and to get on the national scene. Um, and from an athletic standpoint, it was, um, now Tim, help me on this. Was it uh, Tim Selgo's second year in 97? Yes, it was the second year, correct. Second year. So he was, he, he himself was building this, what would end up being a powerhouse of an athletic program. Um, and it was um, Dan Scanlon's second year also. So it was, uh, it was, it was new for both of them and it was just an exciting time. And, um, you know, I was, I was actually recruited to play soccer. I don't know if, um, if you guys knew that, but uh, Diego, Diego Cortez was a soccer coach at the time and he was really hounding me and he was really pushing me to play soccer. And I came on a recruiting visit and he offered me and, I just kind of held out a little bit because, you know, honestly, I didn't like to run. I wasn't, you know, I didn't like to run very much and uh, soccer just wasn't my passion. Um, but I knew I wanted to go to Grand Valley and volleyball was really my, my first love. And so back in the day, you know, you sent VHS tapes. And so my mom sent a VHS tape to, to coach Scanlon and she came out and watched me play. And, um, you know, the next you know, the next week I came on a recruiting visit and absolutely fell in love uh, with, with the team and the program and, you know, her and her coaching style. And, um, you know, she's, she's very humble, but she has an unbelievable volleyball background as a player. Um, and so that, that's, you know, really what was drawn to me, um, was, was, you know, her coaching style and her background. So, you know, I committed to play volleyball, um, and, um, just had a wonderful experience, um, on the volleyball team. And that actually is what has, what really propelled me into a, um, working in college athletic athletics was my experience, um, as a GVSU volleyball player, you know, playing for coach Scanlon, playing for Jason, you know, Jason Johnson, who is still works under Dan Scanlon was my assistant volleyball coach. Um, so that just goes to show actually how old he is too. Um, but, and, you know, those, those two just had, um, you know, they worked so well together and, um, it was so fun to just kind of go from, you know, a pretty decent volleyball team to culminating uh, my senior year in the elite eight, um, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And just what a great team we had. Unfortunately, we ran into, um, you know, a very good undefeated Hawaii Pacific team at the time, but we really had a chance legitimately to win a national championship. So when you take, you know, 97, a team that was, you know, just vying to get in the top half of the conference, fast forward to 2000 with the, you know, ability to legitimately win a national championship that's a pretty good run so just a wonderful experience as a student athlete you know that 2000 year you guys won the GLIAC championship that started a streak of 11 straight years where the volleyball team was either first or second in the conference did you see that kind of lasting dominance coming um you know it's funny I was watching um uh my mom converted my old VHS tapes to DVDs and so during coronavirus we busted those out my family were all watching them and uh, uh, I gave a speech at the Elite Eight Banquet and kind of the theme of the speech was us understanding that we are worthy of winning and that we belong there. And I think that that confidence really set the tone for future teams where, you know, that was an expectation um, 
you know, and they were worthy of being there and worthy of being one of the top teams. So, um, yeah, I definitely think it did. Um, and, you know, culminating in, you know, I guess that was five years down the road with uh, Grand Valley eventually winning the national championship. Christy, you're, um, you're going to go down as one of the most competitive athletes ever at Grand Valley State <laughs> University. Yeah. <laughs> Something that people probably don't know about this is that you honed your skills playing hockey in high school with the boys. Talk about how that kind of, um, you know, moved you on towards being a collegiate athlete. Yeah. So back when, uh, you know, I kind of started my hockey career, it was kind of hockey, women's hockey, girls hockey was really in its infancy stage um, in Michigan. And so, um, you know, we had a girls team, but there wasn't other girls teams to play. So a lot of times we played the boys teams and, you know, it kind of, it kind of made you a little bit rough. It kind of, you know, gives you an edge a little bit and you kind of have to fight for every inch that you have. And, you know, I think that was my personality naturally, but being set in that environment, you know, exacerbated that maybe, um, but it was, uh, you know, hockey is just a, a phenomenal sport. And um, I must say, I was, I probably led our team in penalty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of led you into, you love those competitive uh, arenas because you loved going on the road and playing at Northwood. Northwood was really good back then. And that's something mm -hmm. I remember Dan and, and Jason always talked about was, you excelled in those areas on the road playing in a, you know, in a hostile arena. Yeah, we, that, that was just so much fun. And, you know, the GLIAC, uh, the volleyball attendance was always so good. And we, at that time, some of the top teams in the country were in the GLIAC, like, um, as you mentioned, Northwood and Northern Michigan mm -hmm. and Ferris. Um, so, you know, it was when, when we came to an environment, it was packed and, you know, the fans, um, you know, were so, you know, we kind of egged them on a little bit, but uh, they were, they were on us. They were on us pretty hard. Um, but, you know, we always just kind of wanted to leave, you know, I know personally, I wanted to leave that court with those people knowing who I was. And that was just kind of the attitude um, that I had. And I think being, um, I think I have short person syndrome where, you know, I was only five, I still am only five, five. So, you know, when you're small, you kind of got to, um, you know, make your presence known even more. So I think that had something to do with that too. But, you know, those were fun times. I can remember um, we played in a division one spring tournament and we went and we beat every single opponent. And uh, I can remember coach Steele walking out of there and saying, well, they don't really like us here very much. And I said, well, you know, coach, we didn't come here to make friends. And that was kind of, you know, it kind of was our attitude that we had, you know, that group of that group of players that I played with. So it was good times. What was your favorite GLIAC gym to go to? Um, oh, Ferris, of course, Ferris. I loved it and hated it at the same time. Um, you know, it was, it's a very small venue. So I think that, you know, it kind of gives the competitive advantage to those Bulldogs. Um, and the fans were just right there. Um, and it was loud. And of course, it was that natural rivalry. Um, and um, it was something, you know, you look forward to, but you're also glad when it was over. So probably Ferris. Well, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that you're the all-time assist leader at Grand Valley as well, by the way, over 5,000 assists, an incredible career for you as a setter. And setter in volleyball is such an interesting position because you're making so many decisions on the floor. Could you, as you transitioned into coaching, talk a little bit about how your background as a setter helped you transition into the coaching lifestyle? Yeah, I think for, um, and I might be a little biased, but anyone that was a setter, I think naturally make will make a good coach just because they understand the game and they understand each of the offensive positions really well. And they understand, 
um, you know, how serve receive works and how, how, you know, defensively, you know, that you under, you touch every part of the game. So you're basically um, the transition between defense and offense or serve receive and offense. So you have to understand every aspect of the game. Um, and I was one of those players that just had extreme passion for volleyball. I loved it. Um, I would, I would be kind of one of those volleyball dorks that would write plays out and then would put service patterns together and, um, you know, maximize, you know, player strengths by running different things. So, um, you know, for someone, you know, 18, 19 years old to, to think that way, um, you know, that being a coach, it's, it's kind of a natural transition. That's very interesting you mentioned that because I know I, for instance, think of the setter as mainly transitioning to the offense and being so involved with what the outside hitters are doing, what the blockers are doing. But you mentioned drawing up serve receives. How does the setter interact with the back line in the libero? Well, um, you know, you want to place people in serve receive that A, it's, it's, it's legal, and B, where you can, if they're a hitter transitioning, if they're a serve receive passer, you know, as an offensive person, you want to maximize where they are and what they can run in a service rotation. Gotcha. Well, and that makes sense why you were a 14 year head coach had a great <laughs> career at Arkansas tech. Let's talk about that experience a little bit. You know, you're down in the GAC. You guys had some fantastic years. Your last year, you were undefeated until the regionals, I believe. Tell us a little bit mm -hmm. about that experience being a head coach for such a long time and really getting to build a program. Yeah. You know, I was, you know, I mentioned that I was at Emporia state um, one year as an assistant coach, but then I came back to grand Valley for two years as a graduate assistant. Um, and I really think that that helped prepare me. Uh, you know, I guess at 24, I thought I was ready to be a head coach, you know, so I got hired at Arkansas tech and I'm, I'm shocked that they hired me. You know, I'm, I'm down in the South. It's a, a Southern institution. I'm 24 years old. I'm like this, you know, fast talking Yankee, um, never, you know, I from, from Michigan. And so I'm really surprised they hired me, but, um, I worked for, uh, Steve Mullins, coach Steve Mullins, um, for 14 years and, you know, wonderful boss. He really taught me a lot, but he, he, uh, went on the limb and hired me and the program that I took over, um, they weren't very good at the time. They were four and 25 and I took over the summer before the season started. And I can remember, you know, my first practice and I'm thinking when I go from Grand Valley, we, I think the previous year we were in the final four, early eight, final four, maybe to this. And I said, I don't, we're not going to win a game. Like we will not win a game. And um, we ended up that first year being 13 and 17. And you would have thought, you know, and won the national championship down there at Arkansas tech. But, you know, I think, um, you know, for me as a coach, I, I wasn't necessarily one of those super great X's and O's studies, the game goes to clinics, you know, reads up on everything type coach, but I was able to have enough knowledge and I was able to recruit very well. And so, um, you know, Arkansas, you know, people, you know, might throw out the stereotype of Arkansas and what you may think, but our institution was beautiful. Uh, we were in a great location. It was affordable. Um, our facilities were really, really nice. So if I can just, if I could just get people past the Arkansas stereotype, um, then I could get them to commit to Arkansas Tech. And so I really actually reached out to the Northern states and, and got some really good volleyball players from Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, um, initially and brought them down. And uh, we were, we were able to have some immediate success. So I think the second year there, we finished second in the conference. Um, so, and then from there, just kind of built that, you know, built that program. But, um, you know, I really think that, you know, my ability to re recruit successfully and evaluate talent 
and getting them to Arkansas Tech is really kind of what propelled that success. Which is interesting because, you know, a lot of the coaches here at Grand Valley say basically the same thing. If they can get them on campus, they feel really, really strongly they're going to get that recruit to commit. Was that a strategy that you pulled from Grand Valley or did you kind of figure that on, out on your own as you became a head coach? Well, you know, I was, you know, involved in the recruiting process and that's, you know, my years as a GA, I do want to, you know, commend Jason and coach for really exposing me to the recruiting process um, as a young GA. I mean, they had me out every weekend recruiting and the evaluation side of things. And then when um, they had a recruit on campus, I was kind of like that. I was a coach, but I was still young. So I could relate to the, to the um, student athlete person. Um, and so they had me spend a lot of time, you know, with the recruits. And um, so I did, I took a lot of um, what I learned from recruiting from them and, um, you know, kind of made it my own at Arkansas Tech and put my own spin on it. Um, but, you know, as, as a coach, especially as a D2 coach, recruiting the ability to evaluate talent is, is, a, is a huge factor in success. Did you ever have a time when you were going head to head with Deanne for a recruit? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that would have been a battle though speaking of Deanne I just want to ask we got to ask you for your favorite Deanne Scanlon story you had her as a coach as a player and also as a head coach when you were an assistant here so what's your favorite Deanne Scanlon story um so probably you know we the UP trip was always one of my favorite trips and we um it, it was it was a long haul um but it was always you know just a fun a fun trip and I can remember I don't know we were on hour five or six coming home from the UP and we, you know, that was back in the days when people just didn't have, you know, their, their movies on their phone. And we had the, the, the TV screens and uh, Footloose was a really, it's a favorite movie of ours. And so we'd always watch Footloose and yeah, that part in the, in the movie where let's hear it for the boys um, came on and there was that dance scene. Um, so she started dancing. Um, you'll have to give her a hard time about this. So she started dancing. Then we, we got, we ended up getting this team dance line that goes um, down. We went down the aisle way and everybody kind of had to freestyle dance, but she started that off. Um, I think we even got Jason to do it too. Um, you might have to fact verify that, but I think everyone went through the dance line. So that kind of became, you know, our song. And even today when I hear it, I usually text her or, or send her a message about it. So yeah, you have to ask her about her dancing skills. You guys must have gotten a sweep in the UP if you got Jason Johnson to dance on the bus on the way home. <laughs> we probably, yeah, I think we did. <laughs> Christy, talk a little bit about Deanne because, you know, we just unveiled the Joan Bond Wall of NCAA Championships mm -hmm. um, just recently. And the program has only had two head coaches, Joan Bond and Deanne Scanlon. Talk about what Deanne meant to you as that, that coach and mentor. Yeah, I mean, she hands down is the reason that I'm working in that in college athletics right now. Um, you know, she provided an environment where, you know, I'm going to be really honest, I was not the easiest person to coach. Um, I was really hard headed. Uh, I can probably list off a bunch of negative things, but I, you know, I wasn't easy to coach. And she um, did a really good job of coaching me, to be honest, and handling me in a way that was productive and that you know, made me love volleyball and made me excel. Um, and she did a lot of stuff that wasn't, you know, she wasn't just the volleyball coach and instructed us in volleyball. And then, you know, that was done. We did a lot of stuff, um, fun little games or, you know, crafts or things to keep us interested. Or I can remember we went, you know, she'd invite us to her house for dinner. And um, so, you know, I, even to this day, her phone number 
her home phone number. I don't mean she still has it. It's one of the only phone numbers I still remember. Um, so she was just one of those, those coaches that um, it was more than just volleyball. And um, it was just, you know, hands down a wonderful experience. So as me as a coach for 14 years, I wanted to make sure that I created an environment where someone left my, when they left my program, when they graduated, that they can reflect back and say, man, that was a good experience. Um, you know, you can't do that for everybody, but you can try. And that's what she, that's what, that's what it was for me. It's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, you know, you were hardheaded and that you were a little hard to coach. Did you know that at the time? Or was that something that kind of, as you look back on it now, you realize how good of a job the end is? Yeah. I mean, I knew it at the time, but you know, when you get older, when you get older, you're a little more reflective, especially um, me coaching. And I, I, I can remember reaching out to her and be like, I, I am so sorry because I was, I know I was a handful. I remember having that, that conversation with her. So, um, but no, I mean, I knew it. Um, but you know, the, the thing about, you know, me and our group is we were dedicated and we were going to win no matter what we were dedicated to Grand Valley volleyball. So that was, uh, you know, volleyball was a huge part of our, our college career. It wasn't just something that we did. And I think that, you know, she knew that and, and that's what she loved about us too. You mentioned your group. We'd be remiss if we didn't go through and talk about a couple of members of that group of which Carlin Miller and you were the terrible <laughs> tandem. I mean, the, the, the aspects of off the court and on the court <laughs> yeah. you do, obviously, but t- talk about your teammates a little bit, because that group really, you guys had your fun off the court, but when it came mm-hmm. to be on the court, you really took care of business. We did. And I'm really glad that you brought her up because if oh. I had gone through this podcast without mentioning her name, she, you know how mad she'd be. We both would have gotten emails, <laughs> messages, phone calls. That's why I had to get her name in here. <laughs> Yeah, we, uh, so Carly, uh, two-time All-American at uh, Grand Valley Outside Hitter was, you know, my best friend from my hometown. And I was a couple years older than her. And, you know, she got some D1 looks and some D1 offers and she chose to come to Grand Valley, um, you know, for, for other reasons. But, you know, one of the main ones is because I was here um, and a uh, phenomenal player. And, uh, you know, her and I just made a great duo for the two years that we played, uh, you know, and in playing with your best friend, especially your best friend from when you were young is something really, really special. So, you know, she's one today. I still talk to or text almost every day. Um, so, you know, your those relationships that you have with your teammates, um, especially when you go through a program like Grand Valley is something that, um, you know, you'll have for the rest of your life. You know, Tracy Skirpeck, you know, is another one. Um, Tracy Benz now. Um, and uh, she's just a solid player for us and just a really, really good person. And, you know, of course, Kathy Viss, um, you know, joined us, uh, transfer from Georgia. And she really was the difference maker um, in our group. I mean, she really came in with just a force. And I don't, we would not be where we, we were at if it wasn't for Kathy. And, you know, uh, she's fighting cancer right now and she's tough. I mean, she was tough back when she played volleyball, but I tell you, she's, she's really tough right now. And we're all behind her and we're supporting her and, and she's fighting the battle right now. So we're all, our thoughts and prayers are with her and her family. Um, and we just, you know, Sheriff Faisenfeld was just a solid six rotation player um, that we could rely on. And uh, Jill Overweg, who came in with me, um, is, you know, another solid player that complimented Kathy in the middle. So there was a, you know, Tether, uh, Tether Kopic, who is, is still a good friend of mine today. Um, you know, just a great leader for the team. So we, we had a fun group. 
That is such a fun group. And like we mentioned, you're the first former student athlete on here. So I want to get your perspective on this. Because when we talked to Tim Selgo, he talked about how much the campus was growing when he first got here. What was mm-hmm. it like to be a student, a student athlete on campus here at Grand Valley State in the late 90s? Yeah, it was it was so funny because when we were there, um, and I know some of the former student athletes that in my age range can tell you, you know, it, 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 it's not just Grand Valley, but it was the city of Allendale. All we had was that little McDonald's. Tim, do you remember that little yeah. McDonald's? Oh, yeah. yeah, the little it McDonald's. Was, it was like the mini McDonald's. It was the tiniest McDonald's I've ever seen in my life. Um, and that was really one of the only things that was there. And there was a, like a family fair, I believe down the road. Um, but, you know, through, through my career and through, um, in, in, and on, I mean, the city of Allendale just blossomed and, you know, I go back now and I can't even believe what it looks like. And, um, you know, uh, but Grand Valley too, I mean, the buildings and the eating options and the athletic facilities, um, you know, you just go back and you're just amazed, but it was exciting to be there in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, just to kind of see that growth. And, you know, as I mentioned, Tim Selgo was a, a huge catalyst for that and his vision. And, and, um, you know, if you've read, of course you have to read his books, I'm sure, you know, if, if you didn't, you wouldn't have the podcast. but, <laughs> but his, you just read his books and his vision and his, his philosophy on leadership, um, you know, there's no doubt that once he implemented that, Grand Valley was going to take off. So, um, you know, and, and, and Tim Selgo was very instrumental in student athlete development too. And, um, you know, he, I mentioned Dan Scanlon being, you know, a reason I'm in college athletics, but Tim Selgo is definitely another reason too. Um, you know, I, my senior year, I did an internship under him and Lisa Sweeney, and I followed them around kind of like a little puppy and soaked everything up that, that they were doing. And, um, you know, that really helped, uh, you know, he, he really helped guide me into college athletics. And, you know, to this day, I still, you know, I still seek advice from him anytime that I need career advice or leadership advice. Um, I actually talked to him a couple of weeks ago and, um, we still talk, you know, we see each other a couple times a year at different things. So he definitely has been instrumental in my career development. Was administration always kind of in the back of your mind, even as you were a volleyball coach? Um, yes and no. I w- I'm, I'm a person with a plan. So I have, you know, by this year, I'm going to be doing this. By this year, I'm going to be doing this. And um, so I knew I was going to be a coach, but I knew I wanted to get, um, you know, into athletic administration by this time. And then by this time, you know, my eventual goal is to be an athletic director. And so I have, you know, goal for that. Um, so that's kind of just been my, my career path. Well, person with a plan is certainly probably a big reason why you're on the COVID task force. And, you know, we don't want to dive too deep into it, but that's certainly something that's impacting the entire country. And you have a look at it from your conference standpoint. If you could just talk to us a little bit what's going on in your region and kind of how you guys are trying to face it and get through this. Yeah, you know, like most, most athletic administrators, um, you know, COVID preparation and, and testing and, and protocol is probably a lot of what you're doing, especially now as we, we try to get basketball off the ground. Um, but, you know, this COVID task force was created um, right after we, with the shutdown, March 12th, and we've been meeting weekly to, you know, hammer out, of course, everything's the working document or a working idea or a working plan. And, you know, as we go through, you know, the fall cancellations, the cross our fingers, winter startup, we meet weekly to assess the situation, create policy, create protocol um, in order to, you know, create a good experience for our student athletes and, you know, to make sure that we're creating a safe environment. 
Last question for me, and it's about committees, because you've served on a ton of them as I try to read through your bio. You've been on basically every committee you possibly could. <laughs> One of the ones that jumped out to me, you're on the ABCA National Rankings Committee. And I was just hoping yes. you could give us a little bit of insight from somebody who was on one of those committees. How does this ranking work and how, what's the process when you try to rank 25 teams when one and 25 have probably never, ever played each other? Yeah, you know, I was when I was coaching, I was on the AC National Ranking Committee. And, you know, after being on it, I kind of realized I don't put I mean, it is a kind of a general assessment, but you can't put a whole lot of stock in that because you're looking at a grid with data in wins and losses and you're, you're, you're trying to figure out, you know, a lot of times people go by historical success too. And, um, you know, so I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, it's semi-accurate, but if, if you're a coach and, and you're not on there and you think you should be, you know, I wouldn't get too worried about it. You know, what, what really matters are NCAA regional rankings and your selection to the NCAA tournament. Did you guys have any oversight when, did, when coaches put in their polls and everything? Were you like responsible for compiling all that data? How did that work? Well, it was um, each conference had two representatives that basically selected. Um, so we would look at the results and then we would select and then it would it would just be, you know, they, they'd uh, average all the data and come up with the ranking. Gotcha. I'm good. Awesome. Well, Christy, we really appreciate your time. The first former student athlete on here, and just like your competitive spirit would make you do, you did a great job, and we really appreciate you coming well, on. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. That interview with Christy Kale Bayer is presented by Coors Light, reminding you to drink responsibly. Coors Light is distributed locally by Alliance Beverage. The Anchor Up podcast also brought to you in part by Uccellos, where great food and sports come together by DTE Energy, Know Your Own Power, and by Mervyn Beverage, reminding you to drink responsibly. And Tim, we welcome you back on here after that great conversation with Christy. You know, she had that laughter moment at the end, talking about her being on the COVID panel, being such a task-oriented person. It was actually interesting to get that perspective as well. Of course, we don't want to dive too deep into the COVID stuff now. We're trying to find some positive things to talk about instead, but that was a unique perspective too. Yeah, it was. It was. And, you know, Christy, again, she talked about being detail-oriented and goal-oriented and having everything lined out, and I can definitely see that in her. And, uh, you know, I think the the great thing about Christy is that is her perspective of volleyball coaching um, in terms of being a player the coaching aspect of it, and now it leads her into the administration, and she really has been at every level. And, you know, we talked – every time she mentioned that she was maybe a little hard-headed or a little stubborn or a little competitive, I saw your eyes just oh. light up because I know you – like we said, you came in with her, and you saw that competitive spirit tenfold when she was a student athlete. Well, her, her Deanna, and Jason, you talk about uh, butting heads. They butted heads. Christy had her way. She was doing things her way and Deanne had her way, and Jason was trying to play mediator and <laughs> trying to keep Christy in, in line, and Deanne, hey, we need her really, really bad. She's really competitive and really good. And uh, so it was fun watching them meet in the middle. And, uh, again, both, both women were com uh, just very competitive and wanted to win in the worst way. And, uh, and you know, really the stories on Christy that we can't tell on air are, are as legendary as, uh, as the stories we tell on air. But uh, Christy and, and her group, they had a lot of fun while they were in college, and, uh, but they were able to get it done on the volleyball court as well. Great to go back to that time when Grand Valley Athletics as a whole was really rising to that power. It crested 
2001, they finally win that regional, and then they go on to win the national championship a few years later, start that dominant run of the 2000s in the GLIAC. And we asked Christy if she saw that coming, and her answer was yes, which doesn't surprise me. But I, I love that story about her speech at the Elite Eight about expecting to win and I think that, or had, being worthy of winning, and I think that has translated the way she talks and the way I've seen her success as a coach and now as an administrator. It really transfers to life as well, which is really, really cool. So a big thanks well, to Christy for giving us some of her time here. That today. volleyball team that they had that year was the second-best team in the country. They lost to Hawaii Pacific uh, in the quarterfinals because it was, it, was, it was determined who you were playing. Mm-hmm. We, we, our region drew the uh, West region, Hawaii Pacific, uh, was basically the Brazilian national team. That's right. Uh, Grand Valley State lost in three, which Hawaii Pacific did not lose a set the entire year. Didn't you say one of the sets and, was within two points? Yes, and, and we were the only team at the Elite Eight to reach double digits in a game against Hawaii Pacific. I mean, in fact, th- that kind of instituted the NCAA Now, remember, the scores on, only went to 15 then. Uh, right. Had they already right, transferred yes. 25. No, there, there were still 15. Uh, so we were the only team to reach double digits. The... Hawaii Pacific team that year kind of dictated the transfer and, and eligibility versus because they, they were basically professional volleyball players in Brazil, and then they went to Hawaii Pacific to go to college. So that's how the old transfer and professional aspect in D2 kind of came about. Let's get to some segments here on the Anchor Up podcast, starting with our Lakers Spotlight presented by Ziegler Automotive. This week's Lakers Senior Spotlight is running back Bryce Young-Walls from the GVSU football team. Three-time letter winner Young-Walls has nearly 1,000 yards rushing for his career. He scored 11 total touchdowns, including 10 on the ground, and averages over 6 yards per carry for his career. He's a vocal leader and one of the main heartbeats of that Laker offense. His passion, energy, and talent make him our senior spotlight presented by Ziegler Automotive. And Tim, I know Bryce was away from the team from a year when he came back. You could feel a palpable change to the energy of that offense. He brings so much more than just what he can do with his legs. A little bowling ball out there sometimes, but he really runs like that as a person as well. Well, and you know, Bryce, he's a perfect example of when something's taken away from you, you, you're either going to you know, what direction are you going to go? Bryce chose the direction of I need to buckle up and, and, and concentrate on my studies and get back into the fold in terms of uh, football and academics. He came back with a lot to prove, and I know he was looking forward to this fall, which would have been his senior year. Now he has taken the semester off. He'll be coming back in the spring, and next fall will be his senior year. So I know he's really excited. He's doing a great job of leading uh, this team through this transition. Um, and, and I know we're excited to see Bryce in the fall of 21. Yeah, it's important for coaches, and we talked about it earlier in the show, how it's important for coaches to kind of set that tone and make these decisions that are going to help get teams through COVID. But I think especially for a team like football or track and field that has so many student athletes, it's going to be really important for those individual leaders on the team and those different groups of guys to really step up and be that leader to help keep everybody in line, keep everybody focused towards that singular goal, and make sure that everybody's striving for what the ultimate goal will be, which is the 2021 season. Yeah, and you know, each individual has to look at their own academic calendar and what they need to do academically versus you know when they're going to graduate. And and you can't get too far ahead because if you graduate, there's NCAA rules on financial aid, and if if some of these individuals graduated in in May, it would really affect them financially. Um, in terms of coming back next fall. So you really have to kind of take each case individually as a coach for Coach Mitchell and, and, and put the, that student-athlete in the best position to get them through, but also to where they are getting their academics paid for. So. 
a lot to consider for sure. Now it's time to consider our great moment in Laker history. It's brought to you by the Randy Catterberg Agency and Farm Bureau Insurance. And, Tim, where do we go this week for our great moment in Laker history? Well, we're going to the second-round playoffs 2001. Uh, Grand Valley State defeated Bloomsburg in the first game 42-14, but it, at, at the expense of losing Kurt Ains, who is you know, going to go down with Cullen Finnerty, the two greatest quarterbacks in Division II history, not, a, just Grand B, Valley, yeah. not just Grand Valley State history. Um, so Coach Kelly – had a, you know, Todd Wojciechowski was the backup along with Ryan Brady, which was a slot receiver, who's now the head coach at Saginaw Valley. And Ryan Brady ran the option in high school at Chesney High School, led his team to a state championship. Um, so Coach Kelly thought, well, you know, we got one week to do this. He instituted the option into the Grand Valley State's game plan against Saginaw. Saginaw led by quarterback Matt LaFleur, who's now the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Um, and, and Saginaw was really good. Uh, John uh, DiGiorgio was an outstanding linebacker, first-team All-American. All, all and so uh, in, in that week's period, he kind of put together the option for Brady, but yet Wojciechowski would be the passing uh, part of the, of the offense. Um, it, Grand Valley State won that game 33-30. It was back and forth. Saginaw took a quick 10 nothing lead, and you're thinking, oh, gosh, lost Kurt last week. This is not going to go well. Um, but uh, Ryan Brady and, and, and Todd did a great job. David Kirkus caught four passes in that game three of which went for touchdowns. Um, obviously, he was just a touchdown catcher. And uh, the defense got a couple stops. Reggie Spearman, Brent Lesniak um, did a good, good job. Kevin Sontag hit some uh, key field goals in that game, and they were able to squeak out that 33-30 victory. That, that team went on to play for the national championship, lost to North Dakota on a last-second touchdown. But that's our moment of the week. What an awesome moment that is, too. You want to talk about getting things figured out in a hurry. For yeah. BK to go back and say, all right, well, we got to learn some option stuff because uh, we don't really have many options here. <laughs> no, it, 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 was, it was weird because when, when, when he talked about it, I remember him talking about it, and that Sunday after the game, hey, Brady ran the option. We're going to put it in this week. And, and Ryan did a great job. And, you know, your offensive line, that's totally different football from what we were used to. We were Northwestern. Uh, one back, no back, fling it around with Kurt, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're changing your offense. And it, it speaks to the, the, the work that these guys put in that they could make those changes as, as coaches and players. It just reinforces everything that Tim Selgo talked about when talking about Brian Kelly, how one, one year he wins the national championships, he's got this unbelievable offense, he can run the spread, he can do this big thing that no one's really ever done at the Division II level because he has the talent. The next year he wins it with his defense and wins, what was it, 10-3 in the national championship yeah, yeah. game. So the way he was able to adapt to his guys, and that's just one great example in such a short amount of time to get his team ready to compete, beat a rival in Saginaw, Valley go to the national championship game and that's very very cool that's a great moment in Laker history and it's brought to you by the Randy Catterberg Agency so that basically wraps up our show we do have Halloween this week again don't forget you're going to come on in to the Kelly indoor if you're around you do need to have a mask social distance self-assessment all that stuff done but we'll have the Kelly indoor open to watch the Michigan-Michigan State football game this weekend here on campus. And, of course, Halloween is that Saturday night as well. Tim, are you doing some trick-or-treating? Do you have any well, favorite candy? I'm not even what? sure what's allowed. what's allowed this year. I don't even know. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm not sure. I'll have candy available for anyone that wants to show up and grab some Twix or peanut butter cups, Reese's peanut butter cups. Do you just get the chocolate blend, the assorted yeah, candies, yeah, and throw yeah, them in a bowl? Yeah, You're not yeah. a take-one-bowl-outside kind of guy, are you? No, I want to – I want to – well – in the previous days, I wanted to have interaction in terms of, you know, show me a trick. I want to see the costume. In today's world, maybe I'm going to, I don't know, have gloves on and toss it to him. Who knows? What's the, uh, what was the rule? You had to tell a joke in order to, to, get a, to, to, to get a treat when you were Tell a up? joke or do a great treat, you know, or, 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 you know, A, you had to have a great costume. And tell a joke, 
show me something. Um, and then you had to earn your candy yeah, back yeah, in the yeah. day. Now you just get to right. walk around and get it handed to yeah. you. Or you just grab it now. Right, no one exactly. wants to have any interaction. So. Well, it'll be Halloween this weekend. Hopefully everybody stays safe and enjoys it. And then next thing you know, it'll be November and the holiday season is right around the corner. Hope you all stay safe. Have a great Halloween week. And as always, anchor up. Oh,